Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Well, as that video uh, that we just saw showed, today uh, we are starting a brand new sermon series that I'm looking forward to. Uh, We are calling the series, as you can see up here on the screen, What Does the Bible Say? What does the Bible say? And in these messages, uh, we are going to be exploring what the Bible has to say about some of the most common Christian cliches, some of the most popular Christian cliches that are out there right now. Now, many of us have tossed around these cliches in conversations with family, uh, friends, even with strangers, with the assumption that these cliches are rooted in biblical teaching. But are they really? Are they really rooted in biblical teaching? That's the question uh, we're going to be asking about each one of these cliches in this message series. Now, we saw the cliches just a moment ago in the bumper video, but I want to share them all with us once more. Uh, They're up here. Uh, We start with, everything happens for a reason. And then number two, God helps those who help themselves. Number three, God won't give you more than you can handle. Number four, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And then number five, love the sinner, hate the sin. If we're honest, all of us have probably said at some point at least one of these cliches. I know I certainly have. But do these cliches accurately reflect scriptural teaching? and thus God's truth. Hopefully, you and I are going to find out the answer by God's grace as we journey throughout this series. And so we start today, we start this morning with the first cliche. Let's say it together on the count of three. One, two, three. Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. So before we go any further, I'm going to pause and ask a question. What do you think about that? Is that true? Well, in some sense, it is true. In some sense, it is true. Think about it. We do live in a cause and effect world where certain choices and decisions lead to certain outcomes. For example, if I were to go to Hot Dogs by the Lake this coming Thursday, and before anybody else got there, I were to eat all the hot dogs myself. First off, that wouldn't be very kind. Second of all, that would be a really bad idea, wouldn't it? What's going to happen to me? I'm probably going to have to go to the emergency room after that. Or if I were to drive in my car, even though the speed limit is 35 miles an hour, and I were to drive 60 miles an hour right past a police officer, what's going to happen to me? Well, that police officer is going to pull me over, and rightfully so, and probably give me a speeding ticket. Certain choices and decisions lead to certain outcomes. We as parents, we tell this to our children. Be careful about what decisions you make. There are certain outcomes that happen because of those decisions. However, usually when we as Christians say that cliche, everything happens for a reason, we don't mean that we live in a cause and effect world. Instead, normally when we say this cliche, we mean that something tragic, something terrible, heartbreaking has happened. And that tragic, 
terrible, heartbreaking thing must have happened for a spiritual God-ordained reason. Um, Early on in my ministry as a pastor, I got a phone call one day. I was sitting in my office at the church that I was serving at the time, uh, the church that I was appointed to, and it was a member of the congregation. And she explained to me that the husband of her neighbor next door had just suddenly passed away. Evidently, this man was getting ready for the day. Uh, He had just woken up, and he and his wife were going to run some errands, and he just died of a heart attack. He was in his mid-60s. Nobody expected that. Now, this man who had died and his wife, they had just moved to Florida. They had just retired, and so they were new to their neighborhood, new to the community. There wasn't much of a support network in place. And so this member of the congregation who lived next door to this couple She asked me if I would come over as a pastor and offer some comfort to this woman whose husband had just died. And of course, I was honored to do that. So I got in my car, went over there, and the woman welcomed me into her home, and we were chatting about what had happened and uh, just processing her grief and her shock. And all of a sudden, other people from the neighborhood started showing up. Word had gotten out. And this one particular person showed up. She wasn't a member of the congregation, she just lived in that neighborhood. And so she comes inside the house, and she hugs this woman whose husband has died, and she just blurts out, I'm so sorry, honey. But you know what they say? Everything happens for a reason. Now, for the record, this woman who said this cliche, I don't think she was thinking through the implications of what she was saying. She was just trying to be helpful, like any of us would want to be in the midst of a situation like that. But by saying that cliche, everything happens for a reason, the implication was, we don't know why your husband died, but there must have been a reason for his death. God must have had a plan in the midst of all this. Uh, Normally, we say this cliche, everything happens for a reason when somebody dies, but we also say during other upsetting events. We say it when somebody loses a job. Oh my gosh, you lost your job. Well, you know, everything happens for a reason. Or we say it when somebody's diagnosed with cancer. Or we say it when somebody's in an accident. What we're saying is, God has a purpose, God has a plan. We don't know what that purpose or that plan is yet. It's a mystery to us. But whatever bad thing is happening right now, listen, it's going to be okay in the end. You know why? Because God wanted it to happen. Here are some other ways of saying this cliche, everything happens for a reason. It was meant to be. You ever heard somebody say that before? We've probably said that ourselves at some point. It was meant to be. It was part of God's plan, or it must have been God's will. So again, these are some other ways of saying this cliche, everything happens for a reason. And so, going back to the question that we raised earlier, what does the Bible say? Is this what the Bible teaches? Well, folks, I'm going to lay my cards on the table this morning. I'm going to encourage us, based on what I believe the Bible teaches, and you'll see why in a moment, why I believe this, I'm going to encourage us to scrap this cliche from our vocabulary, to not say it anymore, because I think that there are huge problems with it. There are actually three immediate problems with this cliche that come to mind. The first one is this, and if you're taking notes during the sermon, I would invite you to write these things down. The first problem is this, number one, this cliche removes personal responsibility for our actions. It removes personal responsibility for our actions. Think about it. If everything happens for a reason, if everything happens according to God's plan, 
and that plan is immutable, it's unchangeable, we can't do anything to adjust it, we can't do anything to influence it, then whatever bad or foolish things that people do, well, they must be doing those bad or foolish things. Why? Because God wanted them to. And so if somebody is unfaithful to their spouse, and we say everything happens for a reason, then we're saying that that person couldn't help but be unfaithful. If the marriage suffers harm, well, God must have wanted the marriage to suffer harm. It must have been a part of his plan. Or if somebody's driving down the road under the influence of alcohol, and that individual crashes into another vehicle, injuring the other person, worse, even killing the other person, and we say that cliche, everything happens for a reason, then we're saying that God orchestrated this car accident. How can we truly hold the person who is driving under the influence of alcohol responsible for what this person has done if our theology says that God made this person do it, that God was behind all this? So that's the first problem with this cliche. It removes personal responsibility for our actions. That brings us to the second problem, and the second problem is implied in the first problem. This cliche makes God responsible for everyone's actions. If everything that happens in this world is intended by God, then that means that God is behind the worst events of human history that we can think of. Like slavery. The Holocaust. September 11, 2001. Folks, do not mishear what I'm saying. I am not trying to talk about these awful events in a careless way because they are horrific. I wish that they had never happened. We all wish that they had never happened. But by saying this cliche, everything happens for a reason, we're saying that God authored all these things. We're also saying that God authors every murder, every assault, every form of abuse, every act of terrorism, that you and I are powerless to stop these things. Otherwise, we would be fighting against the will of Almighty God. So the first problem, it removes personal responsibility for our actions. The second problem, it makes God responsible for everyone's actions. That brings us to the third problem. This cliche leads to fatalism and indifference. What's a fatalist? Well, in a nutshell, a fatalist is basically somebody who raises their hand up in the air, or their hands up in the air, and says, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I can't do anything to change it. It's fate, so it really doesn't matter what I do. It really doesn't matter if my fate has been sealed by God and God has determined when I'm going to die. It really doesn't matter if I wear a seatbelt when I'm driving in the car. After all, if I'm meant to die in a car accident, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to die in a car accident. It really doesn't matter if I take care of my body and I exercise and I eat properly and I do the things that my doctor's telling me to do. If I'm supposed to suffer health complications and die at an early age, well, I'm going to suffer health complications and die at an early age. It really doesn't matter if my marriage is falling apart, if I pursue counseling or not with my spouse. If my spouse and I are meant to get a divorce, we're going to get a divorce. Do you see the problem? Fatalism stops us from taking any kind of meaningful action. And it also leads to a bleak and depressing outlook on life. But fatalism is one of the things that we have to buy into if we believe that everything happens for a reason. 
that everything happens according to God's plan. So let me ask us, is this how God works? Is this how God works? Does God micromanage every single detail of this universe to the nth degree so that you and I are nothing more than actors acting out a pre-written script? Or to use a different analogy, uh, we are nothing more than puppets, and God's the cosmic puppet master pulling the strings, causing everything to unfold, everything to happen. Now, to be sure, there are branches of Christianity. We talked about this last week, didn't we? There are branches of Christianity that portray God this way. This is not the portrait of God that we as United Methodists believe that the Bible paints. Instead, when it comes to God's interaction with creation, when it comes to God's interaction with this universe, we believe as United Methodists, based on what the Bible teaches, that God has built into every single human being this reality that we call freedom. Can you all say this word with me? Freedom. And by the way, freedom is not something that we have generated ourselves. Freedom is not something that we have created ourselves. Freedom has been given to us by God because God doesn't want us to be robots. God doesn't want us to be puppets. God wants us to make decisions. One of the first stories of the Bible demonstrates this truth. The story of Adam and Eve. Chances are you know this story. Even if you're not a church-going person, you're probably familiar with the story of Adam and Eve. Uh, God creates Adam. God creates Eve, the first people. He puts them in the Garden of Eden. He gives them free range of the garden. You can eat from any tree you want to here in the garden. Oh, except for one. The tree that's located in the middle of the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree. God tells Adam this, and by implication, Eve. Now, of course, the question that people so often ask, and people ask me this question all the time, they'll say, hey, Chris, why did God put that tree there? I mean, it seems like God was just setting these two people up for failure. But we need to recognize the larger theological point that is being made with that tree. The tree represents freedom of choice. The tree represents freedom of choice. That, God, that, that Adam and Eve had the choice. They had the decision whether they, were going to, whether they were going to listen to God or not listen to God. Obey God, disobey God. Do what God was saying, not do what God was saying. God did not manipulate them either way. God didn't coerce these two people. God didn't tie their hands. He gave them the capacity to choose. And as theologians and Bible scholars remind us, Adam and Eve are archetypal human beings. That's a really fancy term, archetypal human beings. What that basically means, they stand in for us. They represent us. That just like Adam and Eve had freedom, you and I have freedom. Now, of course, the overarching message of the Bible, God's Word, is that our freedom has been compromised and tainted by sin, and yet the fact remains, our freedom is still there. God hasn't removed our freedom. God hasn't taken it away. Even though we are now a people whose bend is towards sin, God gracefully gives us the capacity. As United Methodists, we understand this to be provenient grace, that God goes ahead of us, gives us this grace. God gracefully gives us the capacity to freely follow Him. In the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, uh, we start with Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible, 
At this point in the story of the Bible, God has led the Israelites, his chosen people, out of slavery. The Israelites are in the desert. They're just about to go into the promised land. Well, Moses, their leader, the person who led them out of Egypt, he's about to pass away. His time is running out. And so what Moses does at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, he speaks to the Israelites once more on behalf of God. And so this is what God inspires Moses to say. This is Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 through 20. Today, I have given you, again, this is Moses speaking on God's behalf to the people of Israel, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. Moses says these words after giving the people of Israel the law. Actually, this is the second time that they have received the law because Deuteronomy actually comes from two Greek words, deutero, which means second, nomos, which means law. This is the second time that they've been given the law. Moses is making it abundantly clear, or God's making it abundantly clear through the Israelites. This is what you need to do. You've got to follow these commands if you want to, if you want to experience life and, and live God's way. Or what you can do is you can not follow these commands, not do what God was saying, and experience death. The ball's in your court. And the ball's in our court too. We are people of freedom. Now, of course, as we said earlier, the message of the Bible is that because of sin, our freedom has a shadow side and can lead us to suffer. Isn't that true? As I was doing some research on this sermon, and this shows how sophisticated my theological research sometimes is, I came across this meme on the internet. Anybody enjoy memes? I enjoy memes a lot. I text them to Pastor Will all the time. He can tell you about this. I saw this meme online. Everything happens for a reason, and sometimes the reason is, this is what it says, you're stupid and make bad decisions. And then you got a picture of a baboon about to do something very foolish with a lion, now listen, this is not the kindest or most loving way of putting it, amen? However, work with me here, there is an element of truth in this, isn't there? Sometimes the reason you and I suffer, let's be real, we are reaping the consequences of our own poor choices. Has this ever happened to you? Or maybe it's just me. I remember one time, uh, well, when I was a kid growing up, uh, my family had a dog. The dog's name was Petra. P-E-T-R-A, Petra. That's a great name for a dog, isn't it? Petra was a stray dog. Uh, one day, my dad was traveling for work, and this dog ran out in the middle of the road. He was in the middle of nowhere. And he opened up his car door after almost hitting the dog, and the dog jumped right on in, as if to say, hey, where are we going? And my dad was not able to locate the owner, and so what happened was Petra came to live with us. My mom was very surprised by that when he brought Petra home. <laughs> so Petra was our family dog, and, you know, we would play around with Petra sometimes. I remember when I was nine years old, my mom was enjoying a sandwich. She was sitting at the kitchen table. Petra was right by her feet begging for food, as dogs tend to do. I must have been really bored that day. I thought it would be a really good idea to get down on my hands and knees right alongside Petra and to beg for food in the same manner that Petra was begging for food. 
By the way, don't tease animals. It's not very nice. It's also a very foolish thing to do, as I came to experience. So here I am begging for food right alongside Petra. I got right in her face. Petra was not amused. She did not think that this was funny. She immediately lunged at me. She bit the bottom part of my tongue. My tongue began to bleed profusely. As you can imagine, I was screaming, I was crying, I was yelling, I was in so much pain, I was in such shock. My mom ran, she grabbed the towel, uh, we held the towel over my tongue so the bleeding would stop. My mom immediately went to the phone, she called the doctor, she had to explain to the doctor what had happened. Doctors get all kinds of crazy stories, right Paul? <laughs> I'm sure Dennis Stevenson would say the same thing. And so she calls the doctor, and the doctor says, well, just continue to put the towel on the tongue, and hopefully the bleeding will stop, and you won't need stitches. And the bleeding did stop eventually, and my tongue healed. Why did I suffer? Because I made the really foolish choice to get between an animal and food. In another sermon, I'll tell you about the time I suffered when my brother and I decided it would be a good idea to play catch with a rock, which, by the way, that's also a bad idea. That one did end up uh, with a trip to the emergency room. We suffer, though, because of our own poor choices. However, it's true that we also suffer because of other people's poor choices. For example, if I'm driving down the road and there's a distracted driver, this person isn't paying attention, maybe they're texting on the phone or maybe they're messing with the radio, and this person crashes into me, is God responsible for that accident? No, the driver who wasn't paying attention is responsible for the accident. Or if I go to the bank and I get mugged, is God responsible for the fact that I was mugged? No, the person who mugged me is responsible. Listen, free will is incredible, isn't it? I would not want to live in any other world other than a world of free will, but because of sin, free will does have a shadow side and it leads us to suffer. But the truth is, free will or sin does not only impact our free will, sin also impacts and affects all of creation on a deep level. Sin affects biology, which is why, theologically speaking, we have things like cancer and disease. I'm not talking scientifically at this point. I'm talking theologically, not because of any one person's sin, but because sin understood as the collective fallenness of humanity how our world is broken because of sin, we have things like cancer and disease, which some of us are prone to getting. That's why these things exist in a world that God originally made good. Sin affects the weather, which is why we have natural disasters like earthquakes and hurricanes and monsoons. Again, I'm speaking theologically here. God did not intend for us to live in a world of natural disasters, but these things now affect our planet because of sin. That's why Paul says in Romans 8 that all of creation... He doesn't just say human beings. He says all of creation longs to be delivered from a, the devastating effects of sin. Now, the good news in all this is that God has done something about sin in Jesus Christ. Amen? God has begun this process of redeeming creation, setting creation free. The first fruit of that happened when Jesus rose from the dead on Easter Sunday. And we will come to experience the culmination of this redemption one day in the future when Jesus returns. But until then, until the return of Jesus happens, we can have confidence that while God may not will everything, God has a will in everything. I'm going to say that once more. God may not will everything, God has a will in everything. 
God can take the bad and awful things that happen to us, and God can force good out of them. Check out with me what the Apostle Paul writes. This is also in Romans 8, uh, Romans 8, verse 28. He says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good, somebody say good, good. of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Does Paul say God causes everything? No, he doesn't say that. He says God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose for them. God can take tragedy and God can redeem it. God does this all the time. The way I like to think about this, I'll tell you another story from my childhood. When I was six, uh, one day I went to a cloth world. Anybody remember Cloth World, the fabric store? I was at Cloth World with my mom. Uh, my mom, when she was in college, uh, she attended Kent State. Uh, that's where she met my father. Uh, she majored in fashion. She was really good with a sewing machine. She would sew all of our Halloween costumes. She would uh, put together um, outfits for us. Uh, she was really good at this stuff. So we were at a Cloth World. I was with my mom. It was around Easter time. Cloth World was hosting a coloring contest for the kids. And so what happened was, when you left the store, every child would be given a picture of a bunny in a basket. And whichever child colored in the picture the best, that child would win the contest. And so I was a bumbling artist, right? Or an up-and-coming artist. And uh, I was really excited about this contest. And so we took the picture home, and I simply could not wait. I immediately went inside my bedroom and began to color in that picture. But in my excitement and my enthusiasm, I colored so fast I accidentally caused a tear in the picture and the part that featured the rabbit's tail. I was devastated. I saw my whole career as an artist going out the window. I was crying. I went to my mom. I had tried to tape it together, but the tape wasn't working. And, and I said, Mom, look what I did. Oh, my goodness. There's no way I'm going to win this contest. And my mom said, okay. Let's figure this out. She said, wait right here. She went inside the bathroom. She came back out. She had a cotton ball. She said, what we're going to do, we're going to take this cotton ball and we're going to put it on the rabbit's tail. Nobody will even know what happened. So that's what we did. I finished coloring the picture. I turned it in. Guess what? Got a phone call a few days later. I was one of two kids who won that contest. I was encouraged to come in the store to claim my prize, which was a stuffed bunny. <laughs> I cherish that stuffed bunny. I wish I still had it. My mom did not miss a beat. Moms never miss a beat, do they? She saw that something bad had happened, but she also found a way to creatively redeem it. Listen, God does this on a cosmic scale. Nothing is wasted. Not a thing is wasted, no matter how bad or terrible it may be in God's economy of grace. Find comfort in that truth today and allow it to overwhelm you. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.